Hello, everybody. This is Rich Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Nolan Rich. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Got a lot on the program today, a little bit of a recap of Week 8. This is going to be a little bit longer than a typical show. Got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to talk about quarterbacks and what it means just to have a guy and not the guy on the team. But we'll start with what is quickly becoming a very exciting development of the NFL, and that's the NFL trade deadline. When the NFL moved its draft back, they extended their season. They've made free agency more interesting in a national almost holiday for sports fans because it starts at a certain time. The NFL has become a 12-month sport. It dominates the headlines. And now another great development for the league and for intrigue is the trade deadline. Now we're seeing that more pieces are moving. And since they moved it back to week eight, we now get a better sense of teams in almost baseball. Because in baseball, with the trade deadline, it's at the point past the halfway mark, and teams know we're either going for it or we're done. Now by week eight, with the deadline there, you have teams that are halfway through the season, and they have a good idea if they're rebuilding, if they're moving forward, and what teams feel like, look, we have the pieces for a Super Bowl if we can go out and get another player or two. And I think this is great since the league moved the trade deadline back. And once again, it's proving to be that. In the past 24 hours, we've seen Amari Cooper get traded, talks of Patrick Peterson saying he wants out, and we've also heard a lot of other pieces that might get moved, such as Demarius Thomas, and oh, by the way, Eli Apple has been traded from the Giants to New Orleans to help with their secondary, and the Giants gain a fourth and seven round pick to help build their back end and build to our future. So I'm going to start with the big trade, Amari Cooper. Now, a lot of people have heard in the media, oh, the, the Cowboys got fleeced by the Raiders. I'm here to tell you they didn't. I think this is a very good trade. And a lot of people will say, well, what about the Roy Williams trade a couple years ago where the uh, Cowboys sorry, gave up a first, a third, and a sixth-round pick to get Roy Williams, and he never worked down Dallas? It's a risk, but you have to understand the culture of Dallas. Dallas, as a city is an aggressive culture in business, in oil. It's aggressive. And this is America's team. They're the team that is by far the most popular sport, the most talked about team in the National Football League. And the biggest problem for them this year, they've been boring. They've been boring. Their offense is boring. And you saw it against the Redskins. They weren't playing to win that game. They were playing to just to tie and hope, hey, maybe we'll get a break in overtime. That's not Dallas. Dallas is go for the win, win big, and try to bring a Super Bowl to Dallas. And we've all known that Dak Prescott has struggled, that he has no weapons. And Amari Cooper, we have to remember, was a first-round pick, has made the Pro Bowl, and over the last two years has really dropped off, mostly because of drops, but this will be a great proving ground to see is it Amari Cooper's performance or is it Derek Carr possibly regressing? Because if he goes big and off in Dallas and they play well, it's not going to look for good for Derek Carr. And I get what Jerry Jones is doing. People are saying, oh, first-round pick's too high. But we have to consider what's the biggest need of the Dallas Cowboys. Most people say, well, it's wide receiver and tight end. Okay. So I'm looking forward. Next year's free agent class, it isn't a good one for wide receivers. There's no big-name wide receivers on the market. The biggest one's going to probably be Randall Cobb. 
It's not a good wide receiver market, and Jerry Jones doesn't want to overpay for an average receiver. He showed that with Des Bryant. He's not going to overpay for average. Then you look at the NFL draft. This is not a good NFL draft for wide receivers. It's not. It's one of those drafts where you have some good prospects, second, third round range, but there's no great number one receiver coming out in this year's upcoming draft. And the Cowboys, even if there was a great receiver, they're going to probably be picking in the high teens, low 20s. If they're a 7-8 win team, maybe 9 wins, and I think with the Cooper trade, they feel that they're competing in this division because the NFC East is wide open. The Eagles are struggling. The Redskins, I think, right now are the best team in that division. But you can make the case that 9 or 10 wins is going to win this division, and the Cowboys are right there at 3-4. and four. They have not played great, but they're right in the mix. They are right there, and Jerry Jones is looking forward to saying, look, I need to see what Dak Prescott can do because they're going to give him a long-term deal next year. He comes off the books because he was a late-round pick. He doesn't get the fifth-year option. So this is a good barometer for the Cowboys to see, is Dak Prescott really our guy if we give him a weapon? And it also is smart because there weren't great weapons in the draft or upcoming free agency. And where the Cowboys figure to be picking in the 20s or late teens, they're saying, look, we're not going to get a high-quality prospect at that point. Why don't we go take a risk on a guy who was a pro bowler? But one thing it also showed me, too, was I think they're committing to Dak. They're committing because I had a theory that they might trade up in the draft to get Justin Herbert. But now without a first-round pick, they're not taking a quarterback next year. So they're riding it out with Dak, and it could get interesting if Dak wants a huge contract next year and he's still struggling. But I do think this was a great aggressive move for the Dallas Cowboys, and I think that they will win this trade. And even if Amari Cooper struggles, they give out a mid-first-round pick on a team that has a lot of good young talent, and they're trying to figure out what their quarterback situation is. So I completely agree with it. On the other end, people are saying, well, the Raiders won this trade because they got a first-round pick. Stories out that there is a big locker room divide. Oh, that's a shocker. Between the Raiders and Derek Carr. I wonder why. Derek Carr is the franchise quarterback. And the Raiders brought in John Gruden to help make him better and make this team a playoff contender again. We're not even halfway through the season. And the Raiders have traded his number one receiver, the best defensive player arguably in football, and the best players on the Raiders before the season, and they look to be in full rebuild mode. Meanwhile, he's been getting pelted behind a terrible offensive line, has no weapons, and now Marshawn Lynch is on the IR, and his number one running back will be Doug Martin. Gee, I wonder why Derek Carr is upset. And I'm going to make a prediction, and I've already said this on the show, but if the Raiders finish where I think they're going to finish either the worst team in football or in the bottom three, I think they're going to take Justin Herbert in the draft. I'm sorry, but I just think that they're going to take Justin Herbert, trade Derek Carr, get more draft picks because Gruden just wants to gut the entire house that is the Raiders and build it from scratch. He's not just remodeling the kitchen. He's tearing everything down and building up from the foundation. And I think he's doing this partly – because of what's happened, because of how bad the Raiders have been, because of how poorly they have underperformed this year and how he is getting bashed in the local and national media for the performance. 
if he brings in a Justin Herbert and he has multiple first-round picks, I understand he has a 10-year contract. So he's got that leverage and he's got that security. But for the next two or three years, if he has a young rookie quarterback and a young team, he can use the excuse, well, we're not winning because we're building something. We're building a culture here. We're building around this young group of players. He has that built-in excuse then that, look, you know, I had to trade Derek Carr. He was making all this money. We, I didn't think he fit my system. I think Herbert's a better option. He's cheaper. And we wanted to build with a franchise quarterback. Okay. I do think that that will not shock me if you see that happen, that there's going to be a rookie signal call for the Raiders next season because then it gives Gruden a slight cushion because you say, look, I I wanted to go for it my first year, but when I looked at the roster, we were an old team. I didn't think we were a good long-term fit, so I traded, got younger assets, and now we're going to rebuild for the ground up. And my goal is, look, we might take a couple steps back for two or three years, but by the time we get to Las Vegas, we're going to have a good young nucleus to compete. I think that's going to be the ultimate goal, and it wouldn't shock me. So both teams get what they want. The Raiders get more draft capital and now have three first-round picks and control the 2019 draft. And for the Dallas Cowboys, they get a playmaker they have been dying for and to hopefully help Dak Prescott and give the Cowboys clarity that when they're negotiating that contract with Dak Prescott next year, if he is their guy. Speaking of the guy, week number seven was about having the right guy, having the right fit. There's a difference between being a franchise guy and just a guy. And there are four teams that came out of week seven that made you say, I don't think they have their guy. Jacksonville, Dallas, Cincinnati, and New York. In Jacksonville, Blake Bortles, who they said was their franchise guy, they gave him the big contract, was benched this weekend. And reports that there's a big friction in the locker room. The defensive guys are calling out the offensive guys, and there was even a fight in front of the media Sunday after the game when they only scored seven points against the Texans and where this offense has been absolutely abysmal for the past three weeks, and now they have to go to London to play the defending Super Bowl champions who were beaten by Carolina and have their season on the line. In Dallas, we saw them at Washington. We saw them at the end of the game, Dak leading a great touchdown drive. But then they had the ball back again and a chance to win the football game. And instead of going for the end zone on the final drive, they didn't even take a shot. They played it conservative and went for the field goal, which they ultimately missed. They didn't have the confidence for Dak to go in for the kill. On Sunday night, in big games, Andy Dalton hasn't won a big Sunday night football game in his career, and once again shows that Cincinnati, who you might forget has had fielded one of the better rosters for the last part of a decade, is just mediocre. And out their best day, they're a good team in the NFL and a playoff contender, but once the lights shine in the postseason, Andy Dolan has one touchdown to six interceptions. Meanwhile, in New York, it continues for Eli Manning where the shot fighter continues to go out and everyone is protecting him 
because of what he has done instead of what he is, which is a quarterback who is completely done and who you saw even his head coach yelling at him to do what every Giants and Odell Beckham fantasy owner has been saying all season, throw Odell the ball. We'll start with Jacksonville, where I've heard a lot of things coming out today that they should trade for Tyrod Taylor, although my sources say there's a less than 5% chance of that happening. There's been talks about trading for Derek Carr because the Raiders are having a complete fire sale. There's talks about even signing Colin Kaepernick because Blake Bortles is just a guy. And he's not just a guy. He's a below average guy. In his career, he's turned the ball over more than touchdowns. He's never been a high completion percentage. And outside of last year's season, he has just been average. Look, I understand that you have to give young quarterbacks time But we've seen Bortles now for a couple of years. We know what he is. We've seen flashes from these rookies, from Baker, from Sam Darnold, that, look, they have potential to do something spectacular. With Bortles, you're just saying, I hope he's average. Jacksonville benched him this last weekend. And you can tell the frustration with fights in the locker room reported after the game. And now they're going to London, and this will be the determining point of their season because Jacksonville under Boros has never lost in London. However, if they lose in London, they're going to have a bye. They're going to be 3-5, and five, and the team that felt that they were going to be the team to knock off the Patriots in the AFC. Remember when they beat the Patriots earlier this year, and they were hooping and hollering on the field saying, this was our Super Bowl, we're, we're the team to be in the AFC. If I was to say, who do you think are the top five teams right now in the AFC, Jacksonville wouldn't even be in the discussion. All the best teams in the AFC now, they have a quarterback that you feel can get them to the Super Bowl. And with Jacksonville, you feel they're winning in spite of Blake Bortles. This is a team that just traded to get another running back with TJ Yeldon, with Hyde now, and then hopefully Leonard Fournette comes back. Why? Because they realize they're going to have to run the ball 40 times a game and try to win 17-14 to because they don't have confidence in their quarterback. I said this last year when they made the decision to give him a long-term contract. This is not a good decision. What is he? He's average at best. And this is a team that has a roster that's ready to win in the Super Bowl. Now, they don't have the weapons on the outside that I would love, but they do have a great defense. And I think a lot of the reason this defense has struggled is they've just been on the field so long, and they're just frustrated because they know, look, if we give up more than 13 points, we're probably losing this game because our offense can't get the job done. It shows what happens when you don't have a franchise guy and you're just surrounded by average quarterback. You look at Jacksonville and you look at Cincinnati, you look at Dallas. These are teams with three rosters that have great offensive lines. That They might not have great playmakers on the edge outside of Cincinnati, but they have great defenses, great pass rushes, and they're held back because of their quarterbacks. In Cincinnati, everyone keeps telling me, oh, Andy Dalton is better than just an average quarterback. I mean, he's been to the playoffs. He's never won in the playoffs, and he's only thrown one touchdown to six interceptions in those postseason games. And he's been an under 500 quarterback the last three years previously, despite having A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. And it always seems like he has great weapons. He always has good receivers, a good tight end to throw to. 
And the Bengals, you look at their roster, whenever they make the playoffs, they always have a top six, top seven roster in the league, but they're held back by their quarterback. And it's getting to the point where Albert Einstein once said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting it to change. And in Cincinnati, they keep trying Andy Dalton and nothing's changing. I think you're going to have to see them draft a quarterback. I was saying they should look into the draft this year, but I do think next year will be the year where they finally pick a quarterback. I also saw something very interesting in Dallas, and I got into it a little bit earlier, but they didn't give Dak Prescott the chance to go win the game. They're limited right now, and I understand outside of these other quarterbacks, to me, Dak has the least amount of weapons. The offensive line has not been as good as it's been in the past with the injuries, but they don't have a tight end for him to throw to, and they don't have weapons on the outside. Now with Amari Cooper, we're going to see the Cowboys that is Dak really the guy because they have a big decision coming up. After next season, he can start negotiating for a new contract. And if you don't think he's going to want $25 million a year with the current market, you're wrong. He's going to want to get paid, especially because he's paying right now for $700,000 a year for his base contract. You don't think he's going to say, you know, you also kind of owe me because I played on the cheap. So in Dallas, they brought in Amari Cooper to not only help reinvigorate this offense, but more importantly to see if Dak's going to be their guy long term. And if maybe if we get him some weapons, he'll be better. And then we get to New York where the lack of criticism out of New York is amazing. I love New York sports radio and I love New York sports talk. But one reason I love it is because they're critical and they don't accept mediocrity. Except in the curious case of Eli Manning where I've only heard people defending him and talking about the past and winning these Super Bowls. When the head coach is on the sideline screaming at the quarterback to throw it down the field to Odell Beckham, when Odell Beckham is wide open, and I understand Odell had some big drops last night, but it's clear Eli doesn't have the confidence. And people say, well, he has a terrible offensive line. Well, part of it is he also has the mobility of a cement pole. But the other big thing, too, is everyone's saying, well, it's the offensive line. It's terrible. The offensive line. Who in the league has good offensive lines? It's been a league-wide problem. You can probably name the best offensive lines at one hand. I mean, when I'm just thinking of offensive lines, I think of Phillies, I think of Dallas's, and even Dallas's hasn't been that great this year. And then I really struggle thinking, okay, who's got Los Angeles? Uh, maybe the Rams, eh, probably a top five offensive line. Um, Kansas City, no, they, they, they have a good offensive line, but not a top of the end of the spectrum. So it's been a league-wide problem. And I think part of the reason, too, is Eli doesn't get the ball out quick. And he's never been a good short accuracy guy. He's been best throwing the ball down the field and being that 10 to 15-yard guy throwing the football. He's never been the quick Tom Brady, throw the ball in two seconds to get it on a five-yard slant. That's never been his game, and now we're seeing the limitations of that. And it shows what happens when you have just a guy at quarterback. You can have great rosters. The Giants have playmakers on offense. The Bengals have playmakers on offense. And even the Jaguars have a stable of running backs to hand the football off to. But when you just have a quarterback that's holding you back, it's frustrating. And some of these teams have to make a decision, especially moving into the draft next year. 
When are they going to move off these quarterbacks? I mean, I've even gotten to Miami with Ryan Tannehill. Can't even stay healthy. But, man, Brock Osweiler out of nowhere is playing extremely well for them. And it's going to be interesting, this trade deadline. I don't know if we'll see a quarterback move. I mean, Tyrod Taylor's been a name that's thrown out a bunch. Uh, Cleveland, could he get moved? That's a possibility. I mean, there's a couple backups. Maybe Sam Bradford gets moved. But it's going to be very interesting because by the end of the season, we're going to have a couple of teams. that They're going to have big decisions to make. Maybe not in Dallas as much as the other teams, but... Cincinnati is going to decide, can we still stick with Andy Dolan for the next three or four years? Is he really going to elevate us, or should we just bite the bullet, get a rookie quarterback, and try to build up with him? The Giants, do we really want to go another year with Eli Manning? Or do we have to go and find another quarterback? And in Jacksonville, this is a Super Bowl team. Out of all these teams right now, you can make the case Dallas is on the edge of trying to win a Super Bowl now. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think they're a couple pieces away. But Jacksonville and that defense, they're right there. They are right there to win a Super Bowl, and they don't have the quarterback, and they are limited by that quarterback. That quarterback who couldn't make a play to end that AFC championship game last year has continued to hold this team back, and this offense looks completely lost. And now they have to go to London. And my guess is they lose to the Eagles. They'll be a 3-5 and five team. And now they're in a division where last year, hey, they were great Saxonville. They were dominating this division. Well, Andrew Luck wasn't there, and uh, Deshaun Watson happened to get hurt. Funny, it's uh, Andrew Luck's having his best season. And even though the Colts are 2-5, and five, they're the best-looking 2-5 and five team I've seen. Their offensive line looks fixed up, and if they get a couple pieces, especially with that pass rush on defense, they're top five in sacks, which no one is noticing. Next year, that Colts team could be pretty darn good. And in Houston, Deshaun Watson, after an 0-3 start, man, he really looks good. They're in a division with two of those great quarterbacks. And even in Tennessee, I've never been a Mariota fan. And I still think there's a lot of question around him. But that team, they're a tough out in that division as well. So Jacksonville, you're sitting there now with potentially the third or fourth best quarterback in your own division. And you keep saying we're Saxonville and we're a team that can win the Super Bowl. You need a quarterback. I don't know if it's training for Tyrod Taylor. I don't know. Maybe it's training for Derek Carr in the offseason. But they need an answer at quarterback. And it shows this league the importance of a quarterback. I've always said, and this is why I criticized the Giants in the draft last year, the quarterback is the most valuable position. Once you have that quarterback, it makes your life easier to go and scout those other pieces. But if you don't have a quarterback, everything else has to go well, and that's just to be a competitive team. Think about last year with Jacksonville. They reminded me of the Jets in 2009-2010 where the Jets had the number one defense in football, the number one rushing offense in football, and arguably a top three offensive line. But why couldn't they make it over the top? Well, it was Mark Sanchez, who we found was just an average quarterback. It reminds me a lot of what's happening in Jacksonville right now. They have a stable running backs. They can pound the football. They have a great defense and a great secondary in a passing league. And yet, they struggle because their quarterback can't convert big third downs. And their team and their defense is on the field all the time. 
And oh, and by the way, their division, the quarterbacks, are better this year than last year. And I said this before the season in my preview that Jacksonville was going to finish third. And this was one pick that I got a lot of blowback on saying, oh, what are you crazy? Jacksonville, they were in the AFC title game last year. I said they have a harder schedule. I don't trust Blake Bortles. And Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck are back. Those are four wins that Jacksonville had last year. And both of those quarterbacks... Now look healthy. The first few weeks, there was a little hit and miss because both guys coming back off injury, there was rust. But now we're halfway through the season, and I'm telling you, both of them look good. And in Jacksonville, it's a double whammy because you feel you don't have the quarterback and you're looking up at a division that does. And this is going to be something that we're going to have to look at moving forward, especially the quarterback position. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I value the quarterback position, how much I think it is a great talking point. But that's going to do it for this episode. We have a lot coming up on the table. Next week will be week nine, so we'll have our halfway through the season mark because then by that team point, every team will have played eight games. We'll give you our midseason rewards for rookie of the year, how I project the top four quarterbacks are doing in this draft. And we're going to look at what teams are living up to expectations and which are not. And, of course, we're going to have our hot seat updater. I said it would be week eight, but I'm going to wait till week nine. So we have a couple teams to buy, but at that point, everyone will have played at least eight games. Uh, first one was at week four. But this is something that's going to be very fluid throughout the season. A lot has changed in just a couple of weeks. It's almost a completely new list of coaches that I think are on the hot seat so you definitely want to follow and subscribe so you don't miss that episode. It's a lot of football. We're going to start talking about the NBA in season, which is just underway. Los Angeles Lakers struggling on three, but this is who they are going to be, and it's going to be a process with LeBron James, NHL, of course, as well, and the World Series with the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'll make a brief prediction before we end this podcast right now, and I've been watching both these teams, but to me... It's going to be Boston. It's not even the home field. I just think Boston. Whatever team came out of the AL this year, I, I was said it was going to be a favorite. You had three teams that won over 100 games. And look, the NL has had some good teams. I think the Dodgers were the best of the National League. But in terms of the depth of rotation, the bullpen, and the lineup, I just think the Red Sox just are a clearly better team. They were the best team in baseball all season. They're built for this. They have postseason experience. And more importantly, this is a team that they've just blown through everyone, and they beat the Yankees, and they beat the Astros. And in my opinion, they beat both those teams convincingly, and those you could make the case were the second and third best teams in all of baseball. So for me, I think that the Dodgers, especially the Kershaw, are going to give the Red Sox a little bit of trouble. But I do have the Red Sox in six for this World Series. So that's going to do it. So Red Sox in six, a lot of NFL and NBA coming up on the next show. So make sure you like and subscribe on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spreaker, and, of course, available for streaming on the TuneIn Radio app. This is Rich Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Nolan Rich.